Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, all right. Hello, hello, hello. How are you doing? What's going on? This is the Other People Show. I'm Brad Listy, and I'm in Los Angeles. It's nice to be talking to you. I have an excellent program for you today. Kendra Allen is my guest. She is a poet and an essayist. She has a new poetry collection out from Echo. It is called The Collection Plate. Kendra Allen is originally from Dallas, Texas, born and raised in Dallas, Texas. And she is the recipient of the 2018 Iowa Prize for Literary Nonfiction, which was awarded to her essay collection entitled When You Learn the Alphabet. And now she has a poetry collection making its way into the world. Again, that is called The Collection Plate. My conversation with Kendra Allen, which was a lot of fun, is coming up in just a moment. Today's episode is brought to you by Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux, publisher of the novel Embassy Wife by best-selling author Katie Crouch. The New York Times book review calls Embassy Wife, quote, a sharply observed satire of the white savior complex and the poisonous legacy of colonialism. And Publishers Weekly says, quote, Crouch presses her female characters to their limits, reaching notes of genuine triumph without sacrificing the wry comedy, while the red dust and heat of Namibia radiate off the page. This is a blast. I agree. I read this book over my summer vacation and thoroughly enjoyed it. It's whip-smart and incredibly funny and entertaining. It takes place in the world of the United States Foreign Service in uh, Namibia, in Africa. And it's just a great read. 
Embassy Wife by Katie Crouch, available now from Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux. So before we get to the conversation with Kendra Allen, I thought I would have Kendra read a poem from her new collection entitled The Collection Plate. Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing, it's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is a poem entitled My Sex Wet. This is Kendra Allen. My Sex Wet. Who saw the sticky tie itself to my navel? My hair, the color of damp sand now, because I made it that way. Lethargic, because I was made that way. Forced up, baby, forced into my life trying constantly to omit myself back into the body. My sex wet in mama's gut because yes, not sure if I wanted to be here. Now I change cities every couple of years. It's a cessation whenever I'm touched. Okay, there you go. That is Kendra Allen reading a poem from her new collection entitled The Collection Plate. Available now from Echo. Had a great time meeting Kendra Allen, talking with her, learning about her life and her work. Really enjoyed her poetry collection. Really enjoyed this conversation and pleased to share it with you now. Here she is, folks. This is... Kendra Allen and her new poetry collection one more time is called The Collection Plate 
I'm from Dallas, like through and through, uh, born and raised um, every single day of my life until I like went to college. Uh, so like all my roots are there. I've lived everywhere in Dallas, like every single city in Dallas. I moved a lot with my mom. I grew up with my mom, only child. Um, and so we just like hopped around almost like if I think about it, like every single year of my childhood, we have lived in a different place. Uh, but I always like had the roots of like growing up with the same people at the same school. Um, that was consistent, but like I shifted and moved around a lot, but it was always in Dallas. So wait, but how, if you were moving from town to town, how did you keep going to the same school? Because like, okay, so my mom worked at the VA hospital. And then my great grandmother lived like five blocks up from the VA. And so I used my great grandmother's address to like keep me in school around my mama's job. And so like from elementary all the way to high school, I grew up and went to school with the same people because it was an elementary. And then we went to the same middle school and it was just like up the street. We would just walk. And so like when my mama go to work, she would just drop me off at school. And then after school, like I'm hanging out and then she'll come pick me up like that. Got it. Well, that's good, though, because I feel like if you were moving every year and having to change schools, that can be rough on a kid. Yes, I think like she really like made it an intention to keep me somewhere stable because we were moving so much. Um, and I knew she wasn't going to leave a job. And so she just like sort of cultivated like our lives um, and like our, our friendships and family around like this place. Like it's really like a block and like a square of space where like I learned everything about like who I am, what I like, what I like to do, what I hate and things like that. Um, so yeah, I'm like super grateful for that. And you, you said your, was it your grandmother or your great grandmother lived near the school? My great grandmother. Okay. Yeah. So I guess we should talk about this because I have to say, uh, well, first of all, your great grandmother appears in the collection. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, you write about her, but I also have to say that your acknowledgement section is one of the better acknowledgement sections that I've read in recent memory. Uh, it's a good one. It's a good one. You go all out. <laughs> And you that ta- make me feel good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You ta- and I love reading acknowledgement sections. I, you know, I can even get choked up reading an acknowledgement section sometimes. But uh, your grandmother, Etta G. Smith, you call her the first woman I saw be mean and not care. What What do you mean, or what What are you getting at there? She was me. Like, I never wanted to, like, put it out there that, like, this is a nice lady. Like, this lady was scary. Like, she was so, like, I would go to her house and I would just be, like, antsy and scared to talk or move because I didn't want her to, like, scream at me or, like, tell on me. So, like, when I would go to her house after school, she would direct me and tell me, you know, sit down on this couch and watch TV and don't be walking around. Like, if you got to go to the restroom, you need to ask because she don't like kids, like, walking around her house. Uh, But even more than that, like, I would go outside with her, like, to the grocery store. My mom would take her or uh, just be out in the car with her she had like this snappiness with anybody, like strangers, family, anybody. And she would um, hold her purse like real. It's probably something that Southern black women do a lot that I just don't notice. But like she keeps her purse very close to her because she thinks somebody is like going to take something from her. And so I would watch her all the time. And like if somebody just spoke to her, or like asked her to do something in the store, like she'd be like, 
uh, I'm an adult and I'm 80 years old and you don't tell me what to do. Like she would just go off like that. And as a kid, I'm like, what is wrong with like her? Like what's going on? But then I think like she was born in 1919. And so like this, this is an entirely different time. And I think me seeing her like just be so unapologetic about like her space and her things and her time, it really... As I grew up, it started making me be more um, assertive, like very, very assertive with like my needs and my wants and like what I'm not going to tolerate. And I think I got that from her because my granny is the same way, but my granny is like nicer with it. Like she's not so overtly like just like hard all the time and I think like watching my great grandmother I just sort of like started telling myself very young that like that's not mean like the things that you think were mean because we're not used to women like acting like that <laughs> especially so openly that's not mean that's just her setting boundaries for herself and she was probably like one of the first people I saw in my family set a boundary and stick to it whereas like a lot of other women in my family would set boundaries but like they didn't stick to them all the time she was the one who was like you gonna treat me this way or are you just not gonna be in my life or like you gonna accept this or are you just not gonna be in my life so yeah that was like a long answer to that but I saw Edda G Smith like just be like just like bum rush through whatever she was going through and just be like, I'm not going to apologize for how I acted or like what I said. If it hurts your feelings, like I can acknowledge it, but I, I meant it. Like I meant it. So I'm not going to like apologize for it. So I think, uh, yeah, I just saw her do that and it just stuck with me forever. And I didn't really realize it until I got like in my twenties <laughs> and I was like, Oh dang, I'm happy. So, okay. So you, like a couple of things come to mind first with respect to your great grandmother. One is just like you said, the generational element of it born in 1919. That would mean living through times in America that were objectively like a lot tougher, um, for people of color, uh, especially in the South. So coming up through that, I would imagine would give somebody some toughness. The other thing or, or I, I guess like ideally would create somebody who knows how to set boundaries uh, and, who, and who can find a way to cut through life and to, and to deal with people openly like that. Uh, I love people like that. And, yes. I, and I, I think too, like I think about age because I think um, my f family is from the South. My parents are from Louisiana. So I grew up down going down to Louisiana a lot, even though I myself uh, was raised in the Midwest, but, uh, I remember going to see my grandmother and she wasn't quite the same way as your great grandmother, but there was an honesty to her that was unapologetic, super wide open. I think it had something to do with age. I think part of, I think it, it kind of grew in her as she got older. She just didn't give a shit, <laughs> you know, at all. <laughs> at all. You get to a certain point maybe in life. And, and she had been through some really tough times in life. She lost a child she had another child with disabilities. Like she was just like, you know, I think life had gotten to the point with her where she maybe dropped some of her old politesse. <laughs> and uh, it was a relief to be around her because she had a good heart. She wasn't, uh, she wasn't mean. She was hilarious actually, but it was just like, it was a, a rare thing to be around somebody who was that open and honest with you. 
Yes, it's amazing. Like my dad's side of the family is from Louisiana as well. Uh, but like they all grew up in Houston, but like my grandmother on that side, exact same way. I'm seeing that with her now, like she's in her seventies now and everybody is like, what is going on? Like, she's just so mean. And why is she acting like this? And why does she say these things? And I think it's hilarious. I'm just like, that's because she's been quiet for so long. And like, she's at a point now where she's like, I got more years behind me than in front of me. And so I'm finna get all this off my chest. And I think like, it's the, it's the greatest thing. I think I've always been drawn to um like women who are not, um considered desirable by like physical standards but also by like just who they are internally like even on tv shows i'm always drawn to like the 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 character that's not as sympathetic like annalise keating on uh how to get away with murder she's a horrible person but i love her <laughs> and it's just like <laughs> Like she she has like all this turmoil around her, but like it's something about it that like makes me want to access and like understand like where that reaction or like where that uh body language like stems from. And I'm never like quick to like cut it off. So like when they're complaining about my grandmother like acting crazy and cussing them out and just like being mean to them, I'm just like well, look, like, what did y'all do? Or <laughs> like, what did, um, what is like the disconnect? Like, did you ask her how she felt about it? Like, I'm always, um, just like searching. And I think I do that in my writing a lot. Like, I'm always just searching for like, um, that root issue of like the women around me. Yeah. Well, she was like a, a lesson in female strength. Yes, exactly. I could have just said that. I'm going around and around. <laughs> well, I think about my own mom and how I've noticed it as like, you know, the kids left the house. She's getting older. We're into our, our adult years now. She's got a little bit shorter fuse. I think women oftentimes are holding, uh, holding things together for everybody else, you know, raising children, keeping a family happy, um, doing all the little things that kind of nobody sees or things that you don't get credit for kind of thing, you know? And I think maybe you get to a certain point where you're, you're no longer with those responsibilities, at least not at a, not at that level of volume. And you sort of exhale a little bit and speak your mind a little bit more. Yes. And it's beautiful, but it's like jarring to people who have not seen you this way. But like you coming in like super strong with it. And I think um, that's probably like even growing up as a kid, like I was always, I think about this now, like my family has always talked to me like I'm way older than what I am. And like they involved me in things that I should not have been involved in as a kid. Uh, because I think I just always... Um, been around like older people and like I always inserted myself in conversations and so at some point they stopped looking at me as like a child but more of like this girl knows something or like this girl like they start coming to me for advice and like that's a heavy weight as well just like bro like I'm a kid like I don't know this shit <laughs> like y'all supposed to be leading me um but I think um I always just felt like um they just trusted me more than they probably should have with like all this heavy stuff. Um, I don't even know where I'm going with what I'm just saying, but I think like 
because I always just um, empathize with people, like empathize with people. I always just talk to people like they were people. Uh, people in turn started to talk to me like I was a person instead of like a child. And I don't know if that was like more beneficial or detrimental to my life, but um, I feel like it it heightened and made me hyper aware of like um, the fast pace I had to like grow up, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah. so okay, so what kinds of things were they? What, what kind of conversations were you privy to as a child? Everything, drugs, sex, divorce, like just people, um, like asking me what I think about, um, like um, a certain family member using this certain drug, or like you need to talk to her about this. Like I've had <laughs> family tell me that I need to talk to like older cousins, not, not like older cousins as in like three or four year difference, like older cousins, like 15 years older than me. And like, you need to talk to them because they need to figure it out. You need to talk to them about why they acting like this or why they doing that. And I'm just like, me? Like that needs to be teaching me. Um, but I just sort of like, just been like, okay, like I'll do it. I don't know if it'll work. I'll try. And I don't know if that's like a burden to be that kind of like kid for your family who they see you as somebody who is um like rapidly like learning things. Like I, I, I learn lessons through other people. Sometimes I don't even have to go through the thing, but like I can watch it play out and I'm just like, oh, that won't be me. Or like, oh, I won't be like that person who like is, is like, burdened by like family and marriage and children like I, I that won't be my destiny like so I'm gonna shift and pivot to not do that because I know I don't want to do that because I've seen it how it ends up I've seen what happens to women in my family when they fall in love like they lose their minds or like lose <laughs> principles I'm just like absolutely not like no and so um I think like even when I presented like when my mom and dad was going through a divorce like my mom I sort of I'm really that now I sort of like became like her husband in a sense and not her like asking me to like play that role but like she didn't have nobody else to talk to she didn't have nobody else to like turn to everybody in my family sees my mama as the person who will help them no matter what because she don't know how to say no and so like I was that person for her as a kid where like she can come home and like tell me what happened at work or like she can come home and just tell me like how not even tell me how she feel but I would see like the heartbreak that she was going through that she no she couldn't talk to people about but I would see it I would see her like cry I would see her like just like lash out in anger I would see like all this stuff and I just think um, that's wild I'm, I just told her this like a few weeks ago I was like you was like really heartbroken and like ain't nobody know or like ain't nobody care like <laughs> I don't know what the difference is. Like they didn't know or they didn't care. But I was just thinking like I sort of took on that role of like uh, being her protector. So like when I would see like men come back around, I would be like, no, like she mine. Like, no, like you don't get to come back in. And I would get mad and like jealous. And that's weird. It's so weird. But like I would get like so mad and so jealous. Like when my daddy did come back around and I would just be like, bro like he's so much better than him like what What are we doing like why are we going back here and so I just sort of like took on the role of like leader I always had like a leadership ability because I don't like direction I don't like people telling me what to do because every single time I followed somebody 
it ended up bad. And I learned that very young that like, I'm gonna have to leave myself cause I'm following y'all and I want to go steal candy out the store with y'all and we get caught. Now I'm in trouble. So like, just like down, making those downloads and like make, I learned very early to make decisions for myself because I've always been looked at as someone who is, um, older than what I am. It's probably why I act like I'm 50 right now. <laughs> I get that. I mean, I think my wife had a little bit of that growing up where she was like involved in doing things, you know, with and for her parents that she probably should not have been in retrospect, you know, considering her age. Um, some of it, I think, has to do with education. Um, some of it is circumstance. Like you said, your mother was raising you alone and would come home and you were the only show in town. You were the only person at home. And uh, I don't know. I'm kind of of two minds on it. I think that parents, most in most cases, could probably stand to be more open and honest with their children. Uh, I think sometimes we we kind of wall our kids off from reality to an extent that might do a disservice to them. But you know, it, you always have to sort of uh, find an equilibrium. There's a there's a like a a delicate balance between telling them too little and telling them too much. And then there's also the question of word choice. Like, how are we telling them in, in what tone and with what language, you know, because I like the idea of raising children in an open household, but sometimes I think I can overdo it in that direction. And my wife will just be like, hang on, you know, like <laughs> he's six years old, <laughs> you know, like calm down. Like slow down. <laughs> yeah. Slow down. <laughs> Yes. And I think even more than that, like what even like with that openness, what are you showing them? And is it mirroring what you are saying? Because a lot of times it don't it don't align at all. Like you're telling me something, but then like you're showing me the opposite. And so it gets like conflicting and confusing. And then I jump to my own conclusions like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a it's always like most important what you do and less important what you say. Mm -hmm. like, yes. That's what I try to remind myself of. Cause I'm often, you don't yeah. have to, you don't have to have all the answers as a parent, but you know, if you just behave yourself relatively well, that's probably going to be enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't harm anybody in the process. You'll be all right. <laughs> so you said that you've seen women in your family lose their minds. <laughs> Um, over men like you were that was part of your childhood too I mean obviously your your parents split up and then you just witness a lot of like relationships going bad um not even bad just going haywire like a movie scene um my mom like after her and my dad divorced like I literally never saw my mom like in a relationship with another man like I don't know if she like dated secretly behind my back or like was going out like I she never brought like another man in the house to like live with me um and like I never seen her like in a committed relationship um so not not her but I have like one man in my family, my uncle, who, and then everybody else is women. And I have a lot of cousins. 
And um, I have a few male cousins, but they they were young. But all the women, my aunties um, and things like that, they would get into like these relationships that like they know is not gonna like serve them, and like they know it's like not gonna. Uh, not saying you have to get in a relationship for it to like work out long term, because a lot of stuff don't work out long term. Like people break up, people change, uh, people grow, outgrow each other. But like they they didn't know how to. Um, let it go like they don't know how to let it go like they fall in love or they think they're in love and then like we get like all this abuse physical mental emotional um sexual and they think it's normal because they don't know how to let it go and i i, I saw that as like a five-year-old as early as like being five like i would see like these men around and i'll just be like what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? Like, what are we getting out of this? Like, this. first of all, like, it's, I don't know what's going on. I don't even think y'all like each other as people, but like, you just want to like feel, feel loved. And I didn't understand that as a kid. I'm, I'm understanding that now that like, I do need love in my life because a long time I would just be like, um, this ain't it. Like, I don't want this. Like, I will always tell my mama, like, I don't ever want to fall in love because what makes me so different than y'all? I'm gonna end up just like this. Like I'm no different. I'm no, I'm not special. I um I can't uh, cut off uh, my emotions, my romantic feelings for somebody. So I just don't want to even try at all because I don't want to end up like this. Like you you just stop working on yourself. You just stop uh, working towards a goal. Um, you just become dependent on like this this love that you think is love. And I always was just like fighting against that, like my whole life. I realized um, recently that um, I was like fearful of it, like fearful of like being loved, but also like fearful that uh, I'm not lovable in like a long-term sense because like I am like my great-grandmother who is like kind of assertive and demanding and controlling and like I like stuff my way. And so like, I yeah, so I would see that as a kid, and I and I would see it happen to my cousins who are around my same age, and I would just be like, "This is I don't even know you. It's like a person anymore because of like not saying that it's it's all on the man. Like it's something in my lineage, in my blood that like makes me just like give up when I'm in love, <laughs> um, and I don't I don't want to experience that. That's like a fear. It's like a besides like I have a, a very visceral fear of like losing my memory, which is like why I work like so hard with writing. Like I want to get all my thoughts out of uh, because my grandmother died of Alzheimer's and because it's like generational and it skips the generations. And but also like I have this other fear of like um, letting love lose me. So I never even tried. Like I never even tried. Like I would like somebody and I'd be like, this ain't going nowhere. Like we could be cool. Like we could be friends, but like I'm never gonna like take you seriously like that because you're not finna play with me. Um, but I think uh, now I'm like unlearning that that I don't like I don't have to fall into that number because like I, I know who I am and I realized that a lot of times when I saw those relationships, like um those women who are like so amazing, who I love, who are like the greatest people ever, the funniest people ever, the talented, most talented people that I know, like it probably went that way because they didn't get a chance to like learn themselves and like really get a chance to grow and know who they are outside of um, 
outside of like this romance that like they've romanticized because I think we romanticize romance a lot and it don't really be like that like it's just people like trying to figure life out it's not like roses and it can be but like most times it's just like I just like you as a person and you have to like yourself as a person in order to like reflect that on somebody else. So I think, uh, yeah, I think seeing that very early on, like hindered me a long time in my life. Like I would like, uh, uh-uh, no, you want me to be your girlfriend? No, <laughs> like I got stuff to do. Like you want to go on dates? Like, can we go on here? Like it will always have to be on my time. And so now I'm just like, Kendra, like you, you are open, like you are lovable, but that's because I felt like I was not lovable. Like I felt like I wasn't, um, I wasn't lovable in like a long term sense, or like I wasn't, um, I wasn't ready. I wasn't like ready. Yeah. Well, I think too. Sometimes it has to do with the relationships that we bear witness to as kids. Like, like you keep saying, you know, if you're not seeing a healthy, like, long term relationship modeled in front of you then mm-hmm. how are you supposed to know that it's even possible? You know, it's, mm-hmm. it gets difficult to sort of understand how it actually works. Um, mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Even like, I should say, like I saw women in long-term relationships in my family, but they were not healthy at all. It, it was just always like something going on, like police getting called or like somebody in trouble or like, it was just wild stuff like every time, but like it'd be 10 year relationships and they cannot let it go. And I'm just like, you can thrive. Like you can thrive. Like you can do whatever you want to do, but you don't feel that you can do it. And it kind of hurts me to see and like hurts me to know that they feel that way but I also had to be like you feel that way too except you're just not involved with nobody like but you do feel that way about yourself so like you can't look at them a certain way or like judge them about it because you you're not in it number one and number two like you are very similar like you're aligned that way and I have to like come to terms with um like I said, I'm not that different from them. I'm not different from any woman. I don't know. Like, I've never been like that person. Like, you can tell me, like, you're so different. Or, like, I like you. Like, no, I'm not. I'm the same. I'm the same. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, I did see long-term relationships. And I still see long-term relationships. And I'm just like, we're not going to ever learn. That's all I be thinking. Like, we're we just going to be in, like, a cycle. And I have to be the one to, like, break the said cycle. I'm realizing it now. You know, it's funny that we're talking about all this because today is my 14th wedding anniversary. Hey, Uh, congratulations. (laughs) So far, she hasn't called the cops on me. So I think we're doing well. I think you're doing excellent. (laughs) (laughs) But I do think I do think that our culture conditions us, especially as kids, to an idea of romantic love that is kind of cartoonish and unrealistic and uh, certainly unsustainable. You know, I think the real thing when it comes to a long-term relationship or a marriage is uh, just a lot different and sometimes more complicated, but it's, uh, it's certainly not what we're getting from movies and TV shows, or at least generationally speaking, when I was a kid, it's, it's nothing like what I, what I was getting from movies and TV shows and, um, you know, I think maybe the difference nowadays, we see some of them, like, I think it can sometimes even be messier and more dysfunctional. When I think of like reality television, 
and the ways in which relationships are portrayed there. Like some of it is that sort of, um, you know, ridiculous romantic version of love. But then there's also like the super dysfunctional, messy kind of uh, sensational version that, you know, that feels a little bit uh, inaccurate too, at least in terms of like the median. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think it's about trying to find, I don't know, I guess everybody does it differently, but it's about trying to find um, some sort of middle ground or some sort of uh, stable ground with somebody. Yeah. Something where you can like just be yourself and not put on a performance of like what you expect out of like this union, like what you think is supposed to be like, I just want to be myself. I just want to laugh. I just want to have fun. I just want to chill. Like, I don't want to have to like put on a performance of like what that's in my life in general, not just even like a romantic sense. Like, I just want to chill and be myself and laugh and make jokes and like sometimes be too serious about stuff and jump to conclusions, like who I actually am. Um, instead of like feeling like I have to put on a performance of like, hey, I have to look this way or like, hey, I have to move this way or dress this way or act this way. Like that ain't for me. And so, yeah, like you said, like the sensationalized aspect, especially of reality TV, which is my favorite kind of TV. I'm watching reality shows all the time. <laughs> I love trash TV. It's like the greatest. <laughs> I was watching um, this show called Family or Fiance yesterday. Okay, Brad, have you seen this show? No, I have not. Okay, it's the greatest show in the world. It's like these people who are engaged and they bring they bring three people from each side of their family to this house for a weekend. And they the goal is to get the blessing from the people. And so they do like these um these assignments <clears throat> over the weekend. And like they just go down the list of like why they don't like this for their cousin or why they don't like you for this. But anyways, the show is amazing. It's like top tier trash TV. You should watch it. <laughs> <laughs> but I watch it. And I'm just like, what? What are we doing? Like, what are we doing? And why do we feel the need? I guess it's also back to my childhood of like why we feel the need that like romance will make us complete. I think that's like my main question. Like, why do we think like our goal in life is like to find this? Like, why is that? Not saying that it's bad, but like, why? Like, we've been conditioned to think it, of course. And like, of course, it's like factors like class and money and capitalism that all like goes into it. Uh, But like, at the core, like, why do we like yearn for like this? And I'm trying to figure that out. Isn't it biology? I mean, isn't it, I mean, I understand that there's these other elements, but I feel like biologically speaking, most people, most humans are wired to mate and reproduce. I mean, not to get too crass about it, but that's sort of what we're here to do is to sort of spread our genes uh, to the next generation. <laughs> but not everybody, yeah. but not everybody feels that. And not everybody is wired in that way. Uh, so strongly. And I think sometimes Mm -hmm. if you happen to be a person like that or whoever it is happens to be a person like that who doesn't have an interest in marriage or doesn't have an interest in family, I think our culture does a poor job of recognizing the validity of that. Um, But I also think sometimes people tell themselves that they don't want those things, even though they do. (laughs) 
Agree on both ends of that spectrum because same. That's all that's going in my head right now. I'm just like spilling it out onto you. Yes. Yes. Because I tell myself all the time I don't want kids and like I don't have to be married ever. And but then like in my head, I'm like, am I like 93% sure about this or like 87%? Like, and will I ever meet somebody who will like change that ideal for me? Um, yeah, so, yeah, I don't know how I got there, but yeah, I think, I'm like in the middle. Listen, I, I don't care what you do. You know, it's your life, and I, I support you in whatever path you choose, but <laughs> you seem great to me. I don't like this idea of you feeling like you're not lovable long-term, that we need to disabuse you of this notion. It, it like took a, like a, a couple years of like just feeling very low and sad and then now I like feel myself like coming out there like Kendra you are like the greatest like you good just who, how you are so yes I am a learning I do not feel that way anymore but a long time I did feel that way okay. thank you for that yeah you're good <laughs> you, you need to uh, you should feel good about yourself and uh, I think too though you know you talk about wanting to be yourself wanting to laugh, wanting to chill, like all the things we want to be comfortable in a relationship, if that's the path that we wind up on. But one thing I will say, having been married now 14 years, which seems crazy to say, because I feel like I just got married like, a, you know, a minute ago. Is I can't that, believe you're doing this on your anniversary. Yeah. Well, my wife, <laughs> my wife's inside just <laughs> stewing. She's angry at me right now. I'm out here uh, in the garage podcasting, but, um, you know, I feel like when you're in a long-term relationship, inevitably the other person is going to see you at your worst. <laughs> um, that's the part of it and, and vice versa and vice versa. You're going to have to be with that person when they are the worst, most neurotic, angry, inappropriate, selfish, like just the shittiest version of themselves. It's going to happen inevitably. And you have to find somebody who you can tolerate in that mode and vice versa. Um, yes. And that's maybe part of it that um, I wasn't maybe articulated to me super clearly. You have to kind of learn that on the fly because all these other versions of it get so much airtime. You know, the romantic side of it, the positive side of it. Um, I know people always say, well, relationships are work. I get that to a degree, but that also sort of makes it sound like drudgery. It should be fun, mostly. Um, but there are going to be moments. I think it's just humbling when you're with somebody, and you, especially when you go through some shit with them. You really, it really deepens things, actually, because you, know, you learn that they're going to see it through, you know, even when you, you stumble and vice versa. Um, like that part of it, it maybe needs to get a little bit more sunlight. Yeah. Like the trust, the trust building, like this, that's important. Yes. And it's hard. Like if you, if you, if you're not a trusting person, I think I'm a trusting person, but yeah, like you said, like the beauty, it comes with like that trust. And I think I can, I think it's easy for like a little thing to spiral into something that can destroy what is otherwise a good relationship. <laughs> I don't think people realize, including myself, we don't realize how easily we can hurt one another, um, mm -hmm. how we can say or not say something and do damage to somebody, maybe without even knowing it. 
That's the craziest mm-hmm. part is when you really hurt somebody and you have no idea that you did. Um, mm-hmm. And so there has to be a lot of forgiveness in any long-term relationship, I think, a healthy one. Like you have to weather those things and understand that they're going to be part of it and not let it freak you out so much or get you so worked up that you wind up sabotaging the whole thing. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Self-sabotage. Yes. A hundred percent. Yes. Because I, I do that. I used to do that. I've been changing. I'm telling you, bro. <laughs> like, me a year ago is not me today. Like, I'm super proud of myself. But, yes, self-sabotaging and just, like, knowing that, like, you are worthy of, like, good things and, like, good people in your life. And, like, you don't have to mess it up because there is people in this life who, like, see you and, like, um won't, like, leave you and, like, won't judge you and, like, would just let you be you. But you got to, like, get there in the headspace. Yeah. It's wild. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So I want to ask you about fathers, because you've mentioned your father, your parents getting a divorce, but it also is a consistent theme in your poetry collection both in the familial sense and also in the spiritual sense, like the, the patriarchy of Christianity, um, the, I think like the, the presence and absence of your father in your life and how that has informed your understanding of and relationship to men. All of that stuff is in there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So let's start with religion. You know, you're from the South and I think... Oftentimes, those who are from the South uh, were raised in Christian households. It's very much part of the culture in the South in ways that it isn't necessarily in other parts of the country. Yeah, and I didn't know that until I left the South. I was like, oh, everybody don't do this. (laughs) Like, (laughs) everybody ain't at church four days a week, all day. Um, Yeah, I grew up in my great uncle's, like my great-grandmother's brother's church. So like my great-great-uncle's church. Um, And I grew up there from like the time I could remember up until like 16 or 17 years old. And I was there like four days a week. Um, And... I came home like from Houston one summer. I was with my daddy and I came home from Houston and it was like one Sunday went by and like we didn't go to church. And I was like, I didn't get woke up to like go. And I was like, oh, okay, that's weird. And like another Sunday went by and we still didn't go to church. And I was like, mama, like, uh, we ain't going to church. I didn't want to ask because I didn't want her to be like, oh, we finna go. Um, she was like, <laughs> We don't go there no more. Like she just said that. She was like, We don't go there no more. And I was like, What you mean we don't go there no more? And she was like, Oh, I left the church. Like, we gonna start looking for other churches. And I was like, like the world like blew up in my head because I never thought like we will not be going to this church. And I hated going to church. Like I was involved as a kid, like I was in a choir. I did everything. It's a very like house of a church. It's a very small church. And everybody knew each other and everybody grew up with each other. 
And when you're like in such close proximity, especially in like a religious sense, um, it's like a hierarchy in the church. Like these people was there when they put the, the mantle up, when they put the cross at the top. And so they think they own this church or like all their worth and like status is like bubbling up inside of this place. And um, even though like we were related to the pastor, we weren't like the favorites in the church. So like I had to like grow up dealing with like a lot of people uh, like putting these expectations on me of like how I should look, how I should dress, how I should speak, how I should walk or like how I should um, just present in the presence of like um, the pastor. I don't even want to say God because like in that church, we sort of like lifted up the pastor who was my uncle to like this God like status. It wasn't even like we're in here praising like a spiritual being. We in here praising this man. When you really think about it, like when he walks into the church, you have to stand up. It's so weird. It's like you have to stand up till he gets to the pulpit and he he does this. It's very weird and wild to look back on. Like he does this and like you sit down. Like what was that? And like And and I should say I should say for people listening that what he was doing was kind of like you know, putting both of his hands out and then lowering them to signal that everyone could now sit down. Yes, which is crazy and wild. And so like I always been a rebel, like my whole life. I always been somebody to speak out. I always been somebody with a smart mouth. I always just been that kid. And so I would get punished for that a lot in the church. I would get punished for that a lot just in my life period because I always had something to say back. Like you're not just finna say what I'm finna do. I don't care if I am eight. Like I want to do this. Um, <laughs> and so I would get punished for that in the church a lot because they would want me to wear stockings and like things like that. And I'm just like they is. Like, I don't want to wear them. Like, I would say stuff like that. Or, like, they would make me wear them, and I would, like, dig. I didn't have fingernails. I would bite my hands down to the nubs. So I would, like, get the skin on my hand and, like, dig it through the stockings and, like, rip a hole in them. Like, I would just do shit like that for no reason. I was acting out on other stuff, but I wasn't aware of that at the time. And um, just, like, growing up in that atmosphere, I started, like, really, really resenting what patriarchy and, like, manhood and masculinity represented. I really, really resented it and, and borderline, like, envied it envied it because like the men in this space can do and say what they want they can look at the women with like weird creepy like <laughs> eyes and like but in the same breath like reprimand women for having children out of wedlock but like you looking at this lady like you want to have sex with her <laughs> like so it was just like it was just like I resented it but I also envied that they could do their, those things and like live in like that um live outside of like that binary, but also like not be um, punished or like not receive consequences for it. And so I just grew up like very resentful of it. And I was like, I got to get up out of here. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I would just sit there hours at a time, just downloading. Like I would play like games on my tablet, not like a tablet, but like an actual tablet you have to write on, <laughs> um, like a notebook, a spiral. <laughs> and I would like, play mash with myself and like uh play these games like tic-tac-toe with myself i would rewrite song lyrics in the church like just anything to take me out of that space of where i'm in a position to have to listen to this man up here but then also um like my uncle ended up dying 
and so like the next pastor who's like the associate pastor he kind of took over and like those people who found status in like that place they just amped it up to like another level it was like oh we got a new pastor this ain't your uncle like we don't care and not saying that they should care because i didn't care that he was my uncle he was just to me like an old man who was like messing around with women in the church and like nobody cared (laughs) (laughs) wait what was he was he messing around with women in the church Brad, okay, so this story is wild to think back on. Like, after my uncle died, um, you know, like, they have the invitation in, like, these Baptist churches, and, like, they sing the same song every Sunday, and you go up, and that's, like, where you can sit down in the chairs and then, like, give your testimony or, like, join the church or, like, whatever you want to do, or you just want to ask for prayer. And, like, this lady, she was, like, the sweetest lady in the church. Like, she had, like, a voice. Like, uh, you know who Michelle is? Like, the singer. Uh, it's a singer, Michelle, and she sings something in my heart. But, like, her speaking voice is literally like this. I am a church like that was her voice and uh, she was just very sweet always nice always loving like one of my favorite people in the church and she was just always like giving and in service of everything like if you wanted her to help she would and so like after he died maybe like two services after he died after his funeral she came up during the invitation. She was just crying. Like she was just sitting there crying and they gave her the mic to give her testimony. And she started to like say like why she was up there and she started talking about the pastor and she was like, I just really loved him. Well, her, I just really loved him. <laughs> and, you know, and like she was just crying and like you could see where it was heading. Like she was saying that like she was in an affair with him. Like while he, his wife had been there for years, but like while she was alive, she had an affair with like my uncle. And so she was just like, she was going into it. Like you could just tell like where it was leading. Like she was just breaking down and like she was also grieving. So she was probably like really just like sad that this man, that like she loved was dead and she was just saying like how all the times they spent together and I promise you like the men in the church just snatched the mic out of her hand like a movie you know like when um like on like movies like the software engineer like they shut the computer down they shut everything down pull the cords out yeah. all that like yeah. in it was like that, like they snatched her mic, moved her out the church, like escorted her out the church, like just shut her up and like didn't let her use her voice or like let her speak or say anything. And like anytime after that, every Sunday after that, she kept coming, but she would sit like in the back of the church. She would be like very quiet. She would like, you could just feel like the shame, like steaming off of her. Not that like the pastor who was in this position to like help and like save, save people. But, um, they, they didn't care about that. Like they care more about like the shame of like her having sex. Like it became more about that. And so she was just like very quiet for the rest of our time there. Like she didn't really speak. She didn't really like give hugs. And it was just like super sad to see. And I just, another woman I looked at and I was just like, you can't take my voice. Like, I don't care. I would have been screaming out of the church. This man was in the sad. Like, it's just like how you saw her like just shift and change and shut down and how like these men like just like stripped that away from her and didn't even like care. Like, it's just like, so patriarchy, uh, maleness, uh, masculinity, like 
I had a duality of that, like being in a religious setting all the time, but also that same thing, like with my relationship with my actual father, like that, it was coming head to head. Like I was always combating the things he said or like the things that he did. And like, he don't, he didn't like that. And so I think like that breakdown sort of came because I realized that like, we don't like, we love each other, but like, we don't really like respect each other as like people. Like, I don't think he really likes me as a person. And I don't think I really like, likes like him as a person, which is like another relation. Like you love him to death, but it's just like, like we don't we don't meet eye to eye on anything because of like you have this idea of like who you are as a man and I have this idea that like we're equal. And so um yeah, I learned that in the church, but I also like learned that in my life and it was happening simultaneously and I didn't really know how to like grapple. I could grapple with the church thing because I wasn't ever like really committed to it or like ever really in it. But with like this this family relationship, I was like actively like constantly like trying to to be like, okay, y'all tell me I got to have a relationship. So like I'm trying to build it and then I'll build it and then it come crashing down and then I'll reach out again, build it again, crashing down and like I'm getting the same result, insanity um but yeah and so I think like the church <clears throat> I'm like really really talking right now I'm sorry <laughs> no I love it I'm this is this is music to my ears I like I have a similar relationship in a way with uh the religious experiences of my youth so keep going yeah okay, I want to hear that um but yeah so I think like just being in the church especially seeing what happened with that lady who was like the sweetest lady who is like the lady who y'all said that women need to be like classy and nice and demure and submissive like she's all these things that y'all said makes women women but as soon as like she even tries to express herself not even tell her truth but just like express herself express her emotions it's a problem and so I'm just like this is a scam like I learned that like as a kid like this this whole like uh femininity thing this whole like this whole gender thing in general because gender's not real like this whole like gendered like expression it's not real because you will always lose in the face of like men who think that like your role is for them to like guide you and like control you and like make you a robot. And so, like I said, I just resented it, but I also envied it. And then I acted out like that envy by just like treating them how like they treat us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Damn. Okay. So before I forget, you said your mother one day just stopped going to this church. Why? Um, what was the, what, what was the, what instigated that? think like after uh my mama she like loves to sing and like that's her favorite thing to do like she's singing all doggone day like get on your nerves like she's singing her sentences like if you're asking her a question and she starts singing and you be like girl like i just need to know yes or no and she's singing the song <laughs> but i think like she really loved like that atmosphere of like just like praising the lord and like just singing and like being of service and she was doing a lot like she worked with the kids in the church she did like a lot in the church and like i think she had invested so much time into it and I think like when my uncle died like it was always just issues and stuff that she would just be like I don't think these people like really like me like that and so like after he died and we got like the new pastor it was coming out more and like they wouldn't like they start trying to like gatekeep things in the church which is like bro it's like 23 members here like what are we doing like why are y'all doing all this um, <laughs> and so I think like she just sort of got she sort of like just realized that like it's no more room for growth here and like she will never get to um 
she will never get to be herself there because it's always herself is always too much or herself is like always a problem and so she just started to look somewhere else yeah okay but did she find subsequently find another church yeah, she even told me, like, she was like, you, because I had a car at that time, uh, that's before I wrecked it, but um, she was like, you can find your own church, like, you don't even have to go with me to find your own church, I was like, bet, cool, all right, and so, like, every Sunday, I would pretend to be going to a different church, <laughs> like, she would go to, like, go attend different church services, and sometimes I would go, but most times I'd just be at home and I like she'd come home, she'd be like, How was it? And I'd be like, uh, I didn't like it. But eventually I had to like find a church and I went to like, I don't know how I found this church, but it ended up being they had a live band. And so they would sing like three songs and I was like, Oh, this is fire. But then what really got me was when it was time for the preacher to preach, it was on the screen. <laughs> like it was like pre-recorded and it was over in 30 minutes. And me being 17, like the whole service was like an hour, but like they sing for 30 minutes and then he preaches for 30 minutes. And it was like very simple. It wasn't like the hoopla, which is fine. But um, when I saw that lasted an hour, I was like, oh, I'm gonna join this church. Like I just made that decision. <laughs> in the church for six hours and so I was like oh this is like bliss and so I joined the church and I came home and I told I gave her like the packet I was like I joined the church and she didn't find the church yet she was still looking and she's kind of got mad at me she was like you done joined this church and blah 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 and I'm like you said I need to find the church but like she knew my motive was like I'm in and out. I don't even care what they talking about. It's an hour. I'm out. And like, by the time I get there, it'll be time to go. It's that quick of a turnaround. And it's, it's set in stone because they have multiple services. So they have to get you out. And I did end up joining that church, but it wasn't like my heart was in it. I was just trying to get my mama to stop telling me to go to church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, six hours? What, like, is that just the service goes for six hours? Okay, so Brad, boom. Okay, so you go for Sunday school at 9 a.m., right? And then you go to Sunday school from 9 a.m. to 10.30, and then at 10.45, no, you go from Sunday school from 9 to 10, and then at 10, you go in the sanctuary, and all the kids get up and say what they learned in Sunday school. It's dumb. And then when that's over at 10.45, you start morning worship, and that lasts to like maybe 1 o'clock. So 1045 to like 1 o'clock. And then after that, sometimes like it's always like a, a, um, a anniversary of sorts, like a pastor's anniversary, a kid's Sunday. It's just something happening all the time. So that's a three o'clock service and you get out of there about six o'clock and that's every Sunday. Oh but then you God. go on Tuesdays for choir rehearsal, Wednesdays, Bible studies, Thursdays, adult choir rehearsal. So I'm in the kids' choir. I got to go on Tuesday. On Thursday, my mama in the adult choir, we got to go back. So I'm just there all the time. Oh, man. It's That's horrible. A... I know. Okay, so where are you, where are you today? Are you uh, a practicing religious person today? No, no, I'm not. I'm not going to even lie to you. No, I haven't gone to church in like some years and I have no, I tell people all the time, like, I think I've gone to church enough for 16 years that I don't have to go back for another 16 years, to be honest. <laughs> like, because I, le I learned everything. Well, so I think the relation, like the way that I have often characterized the Catholicism of my youth uh, in recent years is that I didn't have any good teachers. 
I didn't really have any good teachers. I was under the guidance of people who may have been well-intentioned, but did a poor job. <laughs> and I also think I just had questions that there were no good answers to. And Ooh. yeah, I mean, so, and and like you say too, you know, it, it can sound a little bit self-righteous, um, but you were talking about how like, you know, you were eight years old and you were figuring out things that should have been obvious. Uh, I had that sense too. Like, I was like, I'm like, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't square. Uh -huh. And, you know, maybe I didn't have the exact words for it then, but it was certainly bothering me at a young age. And I think I felt anxious at the fact that the adults around me were not similarly bothered. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I know you say your family from Louisiana. Did you grow up Catholic? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I had, like I had <laughs> many of my aunts were nuns. I have, I have an uncle who is still a priest and I always say he's the, if I would have had him as my priest when I was growing up, I think things would have been totally different because he's a really cool guy and like just wise, you know, like exactly what you would hope for, from anybody in that role. Um, but I just didn't have access to that. You know, I was just sort of in these churches and I would be going to CCD. That's what we called Sunday school, you know, go to these things and just seemed crazy to me, the whole thing. And even if I would have had a good teacher, I'm still not sure if it would have stuck. I, it's just not a fit for me. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I can't say it didn't have an impact. Yeah, I think it's like what exactly what you just said, like the questions that I had, the adults didn't have sufficient answers. But even more than that, like they didn't really care to find the answer. It would be sort of like, well, why would you add like sort of like upset that you would even ask these things like you're just supposed to like take what they say without questioning it. And I think. Like I said, I've always been the kid who is like going to ask follow-up questions because every time I've ever followed somebody, I've ended up in a position I do not want to be in. And so I will always just have those follow-up questions and it would just sort of be like, like, who do you think you are to like even question this? Because I didn't question it and I'm all right and I'm an adult and I'm living and I'm thriving. It's just like, it, we have to like open it up to like think of different possibilities. I think imagination comes in with that. Um, all these like writing words that apply in our everyday life. Like, uh, so yeah, I agree. I agree. I was a Catholic church for the first time a few years back with my grandmother <laughs> and my papa. And I like that too. Cause it was like 20 minutes. <laughs> I mean, God, I, I, I was going to say, I used to think an hour because that's how long mass was when I was a kid. That was torture to me. If I had to go for six hours, I don't think I would have made it. I would have run away. And it's constant noise for six hours. It's like organs playing, piano playing, you singing, you're reading, you're preaching, and people telling kids to sit down. And it would be moments where like, I would just walk out of church with my finger up and just sit in the bathroom for like 20 minutes and somebody will come get me and be like, what are you doing? And I'm just like, I'm hiding. I'm tired. I want to go to sleep. I'm hungry. Yeah. So, yeah. Damn. Okay. So was your father, you talk about the relationship that you have with your father and how there's like some, there's a lot of love, but there's also tension. Um, was he involved in your life? Like when you were a kid? I mean, it sounds like you guys saw each other. Yeah, um, 
like around maybe like seven. He he asked my mom, can I, because he moved back to Houston. And he asked my mama, um, can I come there for the summer and like um, see his family? And she was like, she can come every summer. <laughs> I just started going like every single summer. So like that's when I saw him the most. Like during the year, I didn't really see him. He didn't come to Dallas. Um, he didn't like really know what I had going on like at school, like all the teams I were on. Like he didn't really, like I would tell him when I go in the summer but like he didn't see it um and so like I would go in the summer but a lot of those times were spent um with my aunt and with my grandmother at my grandmother's house so I would spend more time there than actually with him and I think like in my teenage years is when like we actually started talking and I actually like started questioning things I think like when I started questioning things that's when like the disconnect start happening so I would always say like growing up my mama would tell me um <clears throat> that like I would be affected by like not having a close relationship with my father and she would tell me that all the time she would be the one to encourage me to like call him I was like what am I calling him for like I know what he gonna say I know he gonna say no I know we finna argue like what am I calling him for and I would like start crying cause like she would make me do it and like I'm very prideful and I'm like I don't wanna do that I feel like I'm begging for stuff and so um like when we got when I got older and we actually like started to see each other as people um I think like we started learning each other and it was good. Like it would be good for a little bit, but then I know like I'm always like one comment away from it, like breaking down. Like I'm always like one question away from like it being closed off again. And so like, I couldn't really maneuver and like be my full self. Like my, 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 aunts knew me more than like my dad knew me and my cousins knew me more on that side than my dad knew me because I always felt like, um, whenever I was just my true self, it wasn't liked or like it wasn't received because like I said, I got a very smart mouth. I'm, I'm very quick with it. Um, and um, he's also like very smart, but I think like when we have like those good times where we can just laugh and like be our best selves um, and like joke around, I think he's like the funniest person, the funnest person, the one of the best cooks and things like that. But I just think um, when my mama used to tell me that I need, like I would feel affected by it. I would get mad at her. I'd be like, first of all, like, I'm good. Like, I know a lot of people don't have close relationships with their daddy. A lot of people in our family don't have close relationships with their daddy. Like, I'd be fine. It's not a big deal. And I didn't think uh, it was, like, a big deal until, like, this last, like, I, I would want to call it, like, a breakup. Like, to this last breakup where, like, I really was just, like, oh, like, damn, like, I really am, like, it's hitting me back, and it's hitting me swinging, like, Tyson, like, I'm just getting knocked out by, like, all these overwhelming feelings that, like, I didn't know that I was, like, suppressing, or, like, I didn't know that I felt, and I sort of, like, felt ashamed to, like, care that it was no longer there, like, I felt ashamed to, like, know that, like, I actually do like love my daddy. Like that, that's weird to say. Like I felt shame and like admitting that. And I had to go to therapy to figure all that out. And um, I just think like um, as a kid, he wasn't like always there, but I would see him like 30, 40 days in the summer. And it's like, we didn't really talk, but then like when we actually started talking, it was like jarring to know like, we, everything is good like when we're quiet but like when we actually start talking about the things we need to talk about it's like a um a, a wall it's and it's hard. not just a wall but it's yes. hard it's not just a wall for him it's a wall for me too like it's it's like you said it's hard 
Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of uh, pain, right? There's a lot of pain. You're a kid and you want your, I think kids want their parents uh, together and around, ideally. That's my experience of kids. I mean, uh, you did not. I did not at all. Like I hated it. (laughs) What, you didn't want them, you didn't want your parents to be around each other? I did it, especially like, because my parents had a seven-year separation, and so it took a long time for them to get divorced, and anytime my dad would come around, it would just be honestly to, like, have sex with my mama, and so, like, when he come around, like, I would just be, I would, like I said, I thought I was my mama's husband, so I would just be mad, I would just be like you so much better. Like, what are we doing? Like, I don't, I don't like y'all in the same place because I also felt like my mom would like act funny when he was around and my mom's attention wasn't on me. Like it normally is. That's what I, that's what it is though, is that you felt like that you know, he might take her away from you and she was your rock, right? She was yes. like your sense of stability. And I knew if he took her away, he was just going to drop you back off again. So like, why we got to go through this? Like, <laughs> I feel like I, daddy in a way that like he he thought he was hiding and I think like I exposed a lot of that for him like in our talks and like he just didn't know how to deal with it and I didn't know how to uh, get over it like I, I just didn't know how to get over it because like if something is not acknowledged or like if somebody is telling you that what how you remember things is not true like gaslighting you all the time like I felt like very gaslit like constantly and that's why I couldn't be myself like I couldn't even say what I wanted to say because it just felt like either I'm going crazy or you crazy and I don't know which one it is but you making me feel like it's me so I'm gonna shut down I'm just gonna shut down I'm just not gonna engage and it was it was that for real so anger, I mean, I think like like in this collection and in all the stuff that we're talking about, like it's not a pleasant thing to confront or deal with, but I feel like there is anger there. And maybe like the love and affection and admiration that you have for your great-grandmother and, you know, the first woman I saw, what is it? Be mean and not care. She's a woman who could express some anger and not be apologetic about it. That's that I think gets to the heart of things somehow, right? You put in like shit into perspective for me right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about it like that, but exactly. Yes, and anger is like the only, like I, I, I've said before, like I'm good with like extreme emotions, like happiness and anger, uh, but like everything in the middle of that gray area, I just didn't know how to access and like properly process. So like, I'm good with being angry. Like I said, I shut down in those moments and I get hard. Like I feel the wall coming up and like, you can't penetrate it. Like you can't penetrate it because I'm, I'm closed off. But then like happiness, I smile a lot and like everybody think I'm good and I'm joking around and like I'm happy. It's like those two extremes. And like when you living in those two extremes all the time, constantly, like you scared to be angry in front of certain people because they see you as like the happy go lucky friend who's always there, who makes your jokes, but then you can't be happy in front of people who only know you as like this angry person who is like always internally like, just dealing with stuff like quietly because I don't like sharing it. So like the anger builds up. Um, It's like hard to figure out how you really feel. Like it takes a long time to like break that wall down and figure out how you feel. I I have like a lot of anger and I think my mama saw it 
and I and I would like come back like you don't know what you're talking about like I don't care and like I said I would always be like girl like I'm not affected by this I'm living life you know I'm having fun and then uh but like she could see like that anger because that anger comes out through those tears like I don't really cry I'm not a big crier unless like I'm really really mad and so she would have me call and I'll be crying like that's that anger being released because I'm mad that you're making me do this um and I think like now that I'm getting older I'm really just trying to um not uh, do away with like those two extremes but actually try to pinpoint that feeling in my body like what the actual feeling is in my body because sometimes I just don't be knowing like I don't be knowing like sometimes I get overwhelmed and that's like where anxiety comes from and that's how I go into depression because I don't know like it's too much happening and like my mind is like moving very very fast and I'm thinking like maybe I did something wrong or maybe I shouldn't have said that or like how you said the way you communicate in relationships like maybe like my body like Language was off and it came off wrong or like maybe um I didn't say something and it came and like it was perceived a certain way and so just me and I'll go crazy like I'll go crazy trying to download it and try to figure it out and then I just end up like in an anxiety ridden like stupor <laughs> yeah well and I okay so but I feel like your mother there's some wisdom in your mother wanting you to get to know your dad like for all of its difficulties as long as the man is not like abusive or behaving in a really negative way um i think there's wisdom in that because if we don't look at and deal with and confront like the important but difficult relationships in our lives you know it feels to me like the kind of thing that you know you can try to ignore it but it isn't going away <laughs> it's better to it's better to look at it correct yes. or, or or incorrect correct it's correct it's definitely wisdom and i think like where um the disconnect came in it's like when we were actually getting to know each other uh because she was all the time like y'all be she was like especially like when you get in your moods where like you don't want to talk to nobody and you don't want nobody talking to you like you very adamant about like your space like she was like you act just like him like y'all act just alike and so i'm just like first of all I act like you and second of all <laughs> like like i was trying to combat it but like i think like getting to actually know him as a person i think as we were learning we started to like not like what we saw in each other and maybe because we didn't like it because it is like a direct reflection of like um the running away the leaving uh the not addressing things the um the um the overcompensation of um niceness to like take away from like the root of like issues or like the um the, the performance of I was going to say the, I was going to say the guilt there has to be some guilt on his part, right? Yes, and my guilt and shame. My guilt and shame. Like I said, those two extreme emotions in the middle is guilt, shame, um, fear, um, disorient. What's the word? This uh, disorientation. Yes, disorientation. Um, not feeling tethered to anything. Like I'm, I always feeling alone. Like that's in the middle. Like even just being in a room of people like and like engaging with those people but you still just feel like like damn like I just feel like empty like I don't I don't feel connected having a hard time um feeling close to people I think that's like something that we share like a lot of people 
feel close to me or like say that I make them feel seen or like, um, like I'm fine with that. But like in my, in my heart and in my mind, like I don't really feel close to nobody, but like my mama and like, so it's like really hard for me to like feel really close to people. I think he struggles with that. Cause I think that he has a hard time just like me, um, really opening up to people. I, and so, you, wait, 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 wait. I just met you. <laughs> I met you. I met you uh, one hour and ten minutes ago. I think we're. I think you're opening up just fine. That's the thing. That's the facade. That's the performance. Because I really do. Uh, like I have no problem sharing anything about my life with anybody, but I don't like feel like it makes us closer. Like it's weird. It's wild. Like I can. You can ask me literally anything. I will answer it honestly. But it's something. It's a disconnect within me that makes me feel like. Um, like that's not intimacy. Like I struggle with intimacy and like I can share everything, but it don't feel intimate to me because like I write about it so much or like it's become like outside of me a little bit. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Cause people say that a lot. They be like, what you mean? Like you don't open up. Like you just said like some wild stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't have a problem opening up. I have a problem like actually um, creating like intimacy. Like, and that's a difference for me. Like it's not the same. It's not as easy as just like opening up to somebody. It's really like other things. Yeah. I don't know what the other things are though. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, it's just like the day to day, you know, sustaining it over a long period of time and, uh, and weathering storms. Like there are going to be times when people close to you disappoint you, no matter how close you are, you know, and it's that stuff. Like that's where I think maybe challenges come in. Um, like how much time, like I'm asking you, like, I'm wondering, like, do you have a um, a short fuse with people, or do you like do you give people second chances? Do you know what I'm saying? If somebody transgresses against you, are you like, "That's it, you're out. I'm fine on my own," or are you pretty forgiving? <laughs> um, I'm pretty forgiving, but I'm also fine on my own. Like, cause I never went into it thinking that like. Uh, like all my marbles are like in this basket. Like I expect people like to show who they are, and then like once I see it, like you disappoint me. That's fine. I can for- I can forgive you. Like that's not a problem. But I'm gonna see you for who you are now. I know like what to trust you with. I know what like not to share. Like you know you have different groups of friends. Like you have friends like you have fun with. You have friends who like known you since you were a kid. You have friends who are like work friends and things like that. Like you categorize them which I don't know if that's good or not either but like you categorize them and I think like even with my family I learned that in my family like I have to categorize you for like what we can provide for each other what we can give where we can hold space for each other and I know like I can't talk to you about this or like I can't show you this side of me because it it won't be taken care of and vice versa like I'm sure I have friends who know like I have friends who know like Kendra like I just moved like I said and my best friend was like I'll talk to you in six months when you be like "Uh, what you doing like I just come back like it's nothing and so um and like she understands that about me and that's like a safety as well like I feel cared for like that I don't have to explain it it's just like Kendra, Kendra just gone. Like she just moved. Okay. Um, okay. Wait, wait, wait. Cause I remember reading on your website, I was reading your bio and you say that you like laughing and leaving. I didn't lie. 
<laughs> what does that mean? So if, if things if things get dicey, or like, is it because you have some sort of like personal relationship that becomes a bother that you decide to just peace out and get out of there, or is it that you're just restless, or both? I'm restless. It has nothing to do. I think it also stems back to how much I moved around as a kid. Like I was never just like in one house my whole life, or I was never just in like one apartment. Like we were just everywhere, and I think. Um, I also grew up with a lot of people living in these houses and in these apartments. Um, it's always a cousin living. Like, they'll just tell my mom, like, I just can't do it no more. Can you take care of her for like a year? And they just be like, what's going on? Um, but I think um, I think it stems back to that. But it also like restlessness of me feeling like I always have to be on the move in order to like um, find myself, or, like discover myself. And it's probably... Like, I can live anywhere. I really, truly feel like I can live anywhere. It never has to do with me, like, running away from people. But I think I do run away from, like, cycles. So when I was home, I, I was in Alabama. Then I went back home for a little bit. Wait, and wait, I wait, wait, wait. Of... What, what were you doing in Alabama? That was just... You just... I was in grad school. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was in grad school. So I was there for three years. And then before that, I was in Chicago. And so... um <laughs> I do move a lot now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> I went back home for a little bit and I only went back because my mom was now taking care of like three of my little cousins. And so I was just like, I got to go help her. Like, that's that's crazy. Like, my mama getting older and like, why is she taking care of three small children? And so I went back to like help her. But like during my time there, I was just like, I can, I can feel myself like, that resentment I have for my family of like how they put that pressure on my mama. Like it was balling over and I was acting out and I was like going off on people. But also I felt myself become sort of comfortable in like the routine of like, I'm going to be next in line in this cycle. If I don't leave, like uh, I will be next in line. I will become my mama. And I, as much as I love my mama and want to be exactly like my mama, I do not want to be that for my family. So I got to leave. Cause I started getting comfortable of a routine, like taking kids to school or like uh, making sure they had food or like making sure they clothes were washed or uh, just like helping her because nobody else ever have. And I just felt myself like just, Slowly but surely, like I was like, I'm staying here six months. That six months turned to a year. I was like, oh, oh, you gotta get back moving. Like you got stuff to do, and like you can only help your mother if you help yourself. And I had to get out the idea that I could save my mama because a lot of times I would I would be home and I would see the way that like I would bring up complaints like mama. Like, you know, you don't have to do this, right? Or like, you don't have to be this person for your family. Like, she'll respond, but like, she ain't finna do nothing different because she's been doing it my whole life. Like, she don't know no better. Well, she know better, but like, she don't want to do it. I think she, and that's church as well. Like, she thinks like uh, not setting boundaries or like just giving herself selfishly to her detriment makes her a good person. Like, she really does feel like that makes her a good person who will get into heaven. And I'm just like, bro, like, it just make you tired and angry and mad all the time and resentful like I've been. And so I just had to leave. And I think a lot of times I'm running from cycles more than people. Cause I really, really, um, yeah, I just really like envision my life differently. Like not saying that it's bad, but I just really don't see me in that position. And I just realized like how, and I thought I was strong with it, but I realized how easy it was to fall into it. 
Yeah. Sure. Well, they, you seem so self-aware, and you seem like you said you've done therapy. Um, you have a, like it seems like you have a lot of this terrain mapped out. Um, you know, so that's good. At least you're. I mean, that's half the battle, right? Is like kind of understanding uh, why certain things are happening or why certain cycles and patterns play out in a family, and you know, breaking them is hard to do. It's it's extremely hard, especially if you don't have like the um, the the foresight or like had anybody before you to do it. And I think like even like I'm a person who writes. I have like a vision. <laughs> I have like a, I draw maps out, like literally draw maps out for things. And I think like I I drew out like my my family timeline. I drew out like the neighborhood I grew up in with my schools. Like I drew all that out and like my place in there and like things I learned in certain places. And it just kind of like really solidified that like you should feel guilty for like leaving, but you also should uh be aware and like be appreciative of like all the stuff that you like went okay I had somebody tell me before I had my daddy's wife tell me one time I was outside talking to her about something and she was just like um I think when my daddy got into it about something and I was just outside I was over it and um she was just like um you know, you've been through a lot and um, I don't think like your parents realize that you've been through a lot. Like you've seen a lot, like you've been through a lot. And when she said it, like it clicked in my head that like you don't even realize like all the shit that like you have seen and like been through and like suppressed until somebody has to acknowledge that for you. Like when she said it, it clicked because because my family, like, even, like, my cousins around me, they will always, like, see me as the one who is good because, like, I have a, a great mother who makes sure I have everything, who makes sure, like, I can figure myself out. Like, whatever I wanted to try as a kid, my mama would just be like, okay, we'll figure it out. Or, like, whatever team I was on, my mama would be there cheering me on. Or, like, she was always just, like, a, just a great parent. Like, she's a great parent. And they would see that, and, like, they, I think they probably – Envy did a little bit and like I said a lot of them lived with me as a kid and whenever they did they got treated the exact same way regardless um and I think I didn't realize that like I was actually going through stuff I never know what I'm going through when I'm going when nobody does until afterwards hindsight but when she said that she was like um Kendra you've been through a whole lot and like your parents I don't think they realized that and I was like how do you realize it like if you see it then like what am I missing and so like when she said that I really um what did you do just had how did you respond I was quiet for a little bit and I was just like in my head I was like like damn she right and then I looked at her like funny and I just like shook my head I don't even think I like verbally responded because I was still like processing that like she said that because I never had nobody tell me that ever in my life like you've been through a lot like <laughs> and I don't know why that was like so affirming for me because I think um yeah it's just like conf affirmation confirmation um because like I said I've I spent a lot of years being gaslighted into thinking stuff that I went through or like stuff that happened to me or like happened around me did not happen. Like, and people would convince me like, so viscerally, like Kendra, like you crazy, you made that up. Or like your mama told you that, or like Kendra, I ain't never said that. Or like, I don't know. And I'm just like, 
but I remember like how when you said it, how I felt in my body. So I know it happened. I like I remember like all these um all my senses like lighting up. I remember how something felt in my hand. I remember how something felt in my mouth. I remember how something smelled. So like I can't be making all of that up. And I think um when she said like you've been through a lot, it was just like I felt seen, number one. Um I felt seen. I felt um I felt affirmed. I felt um, I felt safe. Really, if I'm really being honest, like I felt safer with her than I have with my own dad. And so, but that's like the politics of that is like very, very weird to even admit to somebody because of how they got together. And so I can't like even tell nobody that because it's just like, I'm going to be like, oh, don't bring that up or like, don't do this. Well, wait, so it's wait, just, wait, like, wait, of- wait, how did they get together? Am I allowed to ask? Um, okay, so they got together because, like, my dad cheated, <laughs> but yeah. Right, okay, okay, yeah. Okay, so yeah, but it's, like, hard to be, like, I really, really like this lady. Like, I really liked her. I've liked her, like, my whole life since I was a kid. I've actually liked her more than I've liked this. And so, um, and, but you can't say that. You can't tell your mama that because she mad. Um, and so I think, like, when she said that, I just like really I wanted to hug her. I probably should have hugged her. But I was just I think I probably told her that she um like she didn't have to like deal with stuff that she didn't want to either. Cause she was also going through stuff with my dad. And so yeah, it was like a very it was a, a great moment that I would never forget, but it also like unloaded all like these repressed memories and things like that that eventually like had me going to the therapist <laughs> sure but good for you i mean you you that's the thing you have been through a lot and you were th- went through a lot as a child um mm-hmm. when you didn't have like proper defenses or you know your wits about you because you were a child <laughs> yeah uh, so you need to cut yourself some slack there you know i think and um I think sometimes we can be really hard on ourselves, right? You know, it's like, for goodness sakes, forgive yourself. You were six years old or eight years old or whatever it was when this stuff was going on. Um, you should be allowed some time to deal with the aftermath, you know, and and to process things. Um, I don't know. It, I, I think it can probably take a, it probably will take a lifetime to process um what happened and maybe that's the case for all of us don't we all spend our entire adult lives working out what happened to us when we were kids <laughs> yes it's a scam it's a scam <laughs> uh, it's such a scam i want to i want to talk to you a little bit about process um you know you wrote uh, an essay collection you published an essay collection first uh and now this is your first published book of poetry correct mm-hmm. yes and uh, I was reading an interview that you did and you were talking about how you would wake in the night or how you often wake in the night and jot things down, uh-huh. wake in the night and jot things down. This is how the, your writing in general comes together or this is how poetry in particular comes together. Any writing. I did it last night. It was like 3.47 a.m. And like I tossed and turned like three or four times. I was like, just get up, girl. Just get up. And I got my phone. I wrote a sentence down and I went back to sleep. It's been like that. Like my the stuff that I like, 
that I think is good and not, and I don't want to say for consumption, the stuff that I think is good for like other people to read, the stuff that I think is good to me has always happened that way. Like in the middle of the night, I'm a night out anyway. I rarely like sleep for long blocks of time. It just be like randomly, um, cause my mind be moving too fast. Um, it's hard for me to calm, calm it down. Probably need to think about meditation or something, but it's too quiet. I don't like silence like that. <laughs> But yeah, it's always, that's been like my main process. But now, like, for instance, I'm like pumping out like this just draft of like this memoir, which when I get off here, I probably, no, I'm not, I'm not going to write. I lied. But, um, but like, I'm in the process now where like all the words are right there. And like, I'm sort of like doing the puzzle piece thing of like putting it all together, like doing titles and things like that. And that's like when it gets fun for me, like that's fun for me. Like I don't mind doing that, but like at the, at the beginning stages, the, the middle stages, all the way up to the end, it's in my phone until it's all spaced out in a word document. And then I sort of like just construct it that way. And I think that's like where the, the artistry of like writing comes in and like figuring out how to transition and figuring out how to um, go into the next thing, figuring out how to um, properly like tell a story in a way that for me, I want it to be, um, imaginative and like experimental so I don't want it to always be linear and I don't always want it to be from beginning to end so like a lot of I spend a whole 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 lot of time trying to like just trial and error different um types of styles or create different types of styles um on the page like just how it looks visually and um yeah that's, that's been my process that's interesting to me. Like, it, I mean, it makes some sense, though, because whatever comes to you in your sleep is coming from a very deep place in your subconscious mind. And I think that one should trust that to a, a pretty strong extent. Right. I mean, like it's yes. it's coming from a deep place. So even if it's not the finished product, um, there's some wisdom, I think, in using those sentences or paragraphs or whatever comes out of your brain at three in the morning as like guideposts, mm -hmm. you know, yes. like structural kind of guideposts. A lot of it is just trust the instinct. Like you said, like that's it. Trust the instinct. Like even I was in the shower the other day and something clicked in my mind to say like half subtitles. And so I had to rush to get out the shower so I could put it in my phone, like these different ideas of like subtitles that could possibly go into the manuscript. And the next day, I sort of just sort of put the subtitles on a few of like the little vignette kind of like pieces. And then it just started like, boom, like here it is. Like this is what you were supposed to be doing. And if I didn't, like if I keep trying to sleep through that instinct, I'm going to lose that sentence. And that sentence could be the start of like another book or like that sentence could be the start of like um, another idea or like another character to bring along. Um, I'm even thinking about um, how much music has something to do with that. Like I've been listening to the same three songs for three days. <laughs> what what, what songs, three songs? What three songs? Okay. So I've been listening to um, Alone by Doja Cat because Doja Cat is amazing. I've been listening to, um, what is that song called? It is by, uh, wait, because Spotify is right here. I got you. <laughs> I got you because it was open. I've been listening to um, 
Alone by Doja Cat, and I also been listening to New Sky by Sir, but then mostly I've been listening to um, this song called Score by Isaiah Rashad and Black and SZA. And in this line, Isaiah Rashad like says, um, "I put that over peace," and um, he's like talking about like just unrequited love or something like that and how he just want to be with this girl and he was like I put that over peace and like that phrase just like stuck out to me because it's something like very dangerous but something like very romantic and like beautiful about like being willing to risk things to like put things over your peace in order to like connect yeah that makes sense yeah so like when I hear, like, I put that over peace in my head, I was just like, what are the things that I would put over my peace? And I want to write about that. And so I just start, like, writing, like, a list of things that, like, I put over my own peace. Because I think, like, in my head, my ultimate goal is to, like, disappear and have peace and, like, land. <laughs> um, I just want to live on, like, a little, like, two, three acres and, you know, mind my business, lay on the trampoline, um, <laughs> and that's peace to me. Wait, 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 um, wait. L- lie on a trampoline? Yes, it's the greatest thing. Okay, just lie on the trampoline, like, when when it's not, like, 93 degrees. Maybe, like, when it's, like, 70 or, like, 75, especially at night. Laying on a trampoline at night, especially in the south, like, you see the stars, play music i have my little speaker out there playing i got like a trampoline playlist i have a playlist for everything um, but have a trampoline playlist if you'd like to partake in marijuana great time to do that <laughs> okay uh, just, now this is now this is becoming clear to me i get it now <laughs> it's like it's just like it's so peaceful and then it's quiet you hear like the crickets you just hear nature it's beautiful but are you um, are you yeah. jump, are you jumping on the trampoline and then lying down on it or are you simply using the trampoline as a bed that's the thing. So, like, in the middle of using it as a bed, you can be like, oh, I want to jump. Especially, like, it's fun. Like, I might jump when I first get on, but then, like, I'm getting my knees bad. I'm getting older. Like, my knees just oh, getting please. out. <laughs> and so, like, I'll jump a little bit and lay down, but it's rare that I've just used the whole time to jump. Um, it's really just about me. So I fell asleep on the trampoline before, like, five o'clock in the morning um just sitting there like replaying the same song so that's peace to me but I'm thinking like what would I put over that like what would I risk over that and I was like I want to find something that I would risk in order to like sacrifice this and like what's better than this in my head but like something has to be if he and this song talking about I put it over peace so it's just like me like that process of like using that as a prompt and like assessing like my deepest darkest like desires and like fears and like things like that that I would probably sacrifice in order to like not have that idea of like that three acres and like a trampoline yeah I okay because I have I have my own version of the three acres and a trampoline but I can (laughs) I can tell you unequivocally and I'm not suggesting that you have to do this or that you should do this but if you want to know what you would sacrifice your peace for have a kid <laughs> or get married or get married because like there's just no possible way to protect your peace um on a consistent basis when you're in a relationship or especially when you have dependents like that, uh-huh. like I have friends who are like very controlled and kind of have their lives figured out and 
They have their system. They know what they like. They do what they like. They get up at a certain time. They work out a certain way. They, you know, they have it all. They have themselves. Routine. But they also are like, and I I really want to get married and have kids. Like they talk about it. Like I'm definitely going to do this. And I'm like, you do realize that once you do this. None of it. Yeah. Like this illusion you have of control is going to be permanently shattered. Like it will humble you. It will humble you. Um, but it will also let you know what you're willing to sacrifice your peace for because it's worth yes. it. It's worth it to be, I mean, for me anyway, it's worth it to have those things, to have that shattered. You know, it's like, yes. it can be a pain in the ass, but ultimately it's like the the best pain in the ass. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> my first poetry collection is going to be called The Best Pain in the Ass. I, that's my working title. I don't know. If I'm it's... with it. I'm buying it right now. <laughs> Pretty honoring. <laughs> um, I want to talk to you about, uh, I mean, there's so much to talk about with regard to the collection. I don't think we're going to get to everything. But one thing that did stand out to me, and it wasn't necessarily in the collection overtly as a line, but I think came from an interview, um, the Paris Review interview that you did, where you talked about how growing up you and your mother talked about death a lot. This stood out to me because I, I wish that I had grown up in a household where death was a more frequent topic of conversation. I should also say that as a parent, I wish I were doing a better job of talking about death. But but here's the thing. It's pretty hard mm-hmm. to talk about. It could scare the shit out of a kid. <laughs> like my daughter, yeah. my daughter's she's kind of a nervous Nelly. And I remember when she was like four she, you know, right around that age, she was like asking like, what does it mean to die? You know, the kind of way kids do. And I would say, well, you know, honey, death doesn't exist. It's a, it's an illusion, which is what I truly believe. I think we perceive death as annihilation when it is not annihilation. Um, and I would try to get into this with her, you know, and it was a disaster. Like, not, yeah. <laughs> not a full disaster, but like a pretty healthy disaster because she just wasn't, I wasn't speaking to her in a language that was appropriate to her, mm-hmm. um, despite my best efforts. So I just want to say that the territory is fraught, but I also believe that it's a necessary thing to talk about, a healthy thing to talk about. And it's crazy to deny it and to look away from it and to try to pretend that it's not there and just at the other side of this very thin membrane, you know, the, between life and death, there, there's just not much space between the two. And so I kind of want to hear you talk about how you and your mom had an open dialogue around this. Like, how did you talk about death when you were growing up? Um, it was more so her showing me death versus talking to me about it. Um, my mom was like a weird type of parent. Um, she would literally do things like read the paper like the obituary section of course she worked at the VA hospital and so like it's death all around and I will always be there people in hospital beds and she would just be like oh yeah they done or like they ain't got that long or like we finna go get them their last meal or something like that um and so she worked there but also she would read like the obituary and she would just find like random people and like she'll pick me up from school and I'd be like, where are we going? We will be going to strangers' wakes. Like literally, like she would take me to strangers' wakes and like she would even do things like get up and speak at the wake. No. Like she was, <laughs> yes. No. She was weird. She was so weird. 
weird. Like she would get up, like if it's a veteran, it don't even have to be a veteran, but like she just see like maybe a mother of like three who just got killed in a car accident and like they having the funeral services or the wake services around the corner at seven o'clock and we'll pull up and she'll get up there. She don't even know these people and she'll just give like encouraging words of like how they'll be all right and everything will be okay. You know, all the like cliche stuff people say when people die but she also like made it very very personal um and like very like she'll throw in an antidote about her being a kid or like uh when she learned about death or something like that and like these strangers will start crying like they would be crying at what she's saying and i'm just like and me as a kid just sitting there like what in the world is going on <laughs> like this lady is insane and y'all up here getting bamboozled she don't even know these people but like this will happen all the time like this is just not like a one-off thing she still do this to this day like if she like just see it she do way less now, but she did like maybe a year or two ago. Like she, I, I call her, I'm like, where you at? She's like, oh, I'm finna go to this wake. I'm like, who? Who died? And she just like, oh, some man, they saw on the news. They say he had no family. And she'll just go and like do things like that. So I saw that more than we spoke about it. I think the first time that like we actually spoke about it was in church like one of the kids that grew up in the church with me um she was older she was a teenager and um <laughs> this is not funny why did I just laugh she was a teenager she was like one of those teens who was like just very like you could tell like she was harboring a lot she was just like very angry like she was kids used to be fighting in my church this is why like she would like physically like fight people in the church and but also she was like the best singer in the entire church like everybody loved to hear her sing she would do the solos and things like that and so like she was going to college she went out to college and they were just like you know keep God in mind like keep everything we taught you in mind and like you'll be all right you'll be safe and um she went to college in her first semester she was outside and you know like kids just be outside like an apartment complex or something and somebody shot a gun in the air and she got shot in the head and like died so she was like the first person i knew to like actually die wait or, wait, like, wait, wait wait did the bullet go up into the sky and then come down and land on her like kind of that thing or i don't even know like she got like i don't know if they shot outwardly or upwardly but she ended up getting shot with the in the head with like that bullet that got let off Damn. and so uh um you know people disperse they find her body and like that happened like so quick and it was like this moment where everything that they had been teaching us about like God and like death and like it's all gonna happen to all of us like we're all gonna die like they was preaching that to us and like don't fear it and like don't uh, be scared of it and things like that when she died like you could just see everybody in the church like let all that go it was like the opposite of how they told us to react to death is it's what they were doing and it was just and that made me think like okay so something off, like something ain't clicking because y'all told us that we all gonna die and like she died. It's very, very sad. It was like traumatizing to know like she went out into the world. Y'all keep telling us about worldliness and things like that. And like she dead now. She dead. She was so talented, so beautiful. Like, so she was kind to me. She wasn't gonna let you play with her though. Um, but like she ended up dying, I mean, getting killed. And um, 
Yeah, so that was the first time somebody I knew actually died. And after that, that's when my mama started telling me, you know, like, people, they die in threes. Like, she started telling me that. She was like, somebody died, uh, either baby finna be born, or somebody died and they die in threes. And maybe it's not your immediate family. Maybe it's like your extended family, but three people gonna die. And maybe they die in three years, or maybe they die within three months, but, like, three people gonna end up dying uh, at some point. And so, it just felt like a as a kid it's kind of felt like a waiting game of like who would die like somebody died like when my great-grandmother died um I was I was a little bit older I was a teenager and when she died I think that was the first time I cried when somebody died and I think I just cried because it was just like she she wasn't herself like I saw like the decline of like her not knowing who we are or like her having to be in a nursing home and we go visit her and like her not having that control that she previously had or her like having to be spoon fed or her like rebelling and like knocking the food over on the nurses like just just like not herself and um I think yeah, that it's just always been around me. So I never, she never had to really talk to me about it. She just had to tell me like the semantics around it. Like I knew it was always looming. I knew like anything could happen. I knew um, people don't last forever nothing lasts forever. Um, and I knew like it would, it would be okay. Cause I saw how quickly whenever anybody died, how quickly life just went back to normal. Like life just kept pushing and chugging along and nobody was really, uh, it probably except like the person who felt it the most, like nobody is six months down the line still physically, uh, like reacting to like the dead. Like it's still in you always, but it's not like your life stops completely because somebody goes. And it made me start thinking about like my idea of like success, my idea of family, my idea of love, my idea of all this, because my mama always exposed me to like um, the the final destination that like we always would reach. Like she always told me, um, I'm gonna die one day. What you gonna do when, I'm die, when I die? And I'm just like, I don't know, bro. Like if you die, I don't really know what I'm gonna do, but uh, anybody else die, I think I'd be all right. And then <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think like she like feared death at all. And then one time she told me, she was just like, uh, I'll be all right. If like anybody die, like if you die before me or like when my mama died, like I don't know how I'm going to act. And I think that's like the first time I looked at her and I was like, oh, I didn't even know like you felt any way about death at all. Like I thought she was just like, it's just ha- it just happens like yeah. well well but i think the fact that she works in the VA, people who work in hospitals is she a nurse what do you, what does she do there no she works at the uh at the desk and she checks people in okay <laughs> but, but still she's still around it and i think like yeah. in that environment and in, in that not just that physical environment but in that human environment uh there is i think necessarily a kind of gallows humor that sets in uh, you can't work with sick and dying people day in and day out and be emotionally torn apart every time it happens. I mean, I, you know, I say that and then I'm seeing with COVID, like what a deep uh, impact it's having on healthcare workers. So these people are human. But I guess the only point I'm trying to make is that I understand how somebody could develop like kind of it's like calluses almost, you know, you kind of become calloused to the process and more matter of fact about it than people who on a day-to-day are more insulated from it. 
Yes, a hundred percent. I'm even thinking about like uh, I said, she raising like my three little cousins and like what they know about death already, especially with COVID, like and how they're just like so kind of immune to like everything that's happening. Like they're very aware of what's happening, but like they're immune to like the death part of it. It's just like, oh, they died today, or like even um like when people die. My mama took them to a funeral. Like I said, she be doing this stuff. <laughs> like she took them. <laughs> She actually knew this person though, and she and my cousin. She said my cousin went up to the casket, and she just yelled real loud, "Who killed him?" <laughs> <laughs> like she just yelled, "Who killed him?" And how like she had to explain like everybody don't die like how they do on TV, like these movies that y'all watch. Like everybody don't die murdered. Like everybody, some people are sick, and like we watch things like they know about. They're seven, five, and four, and they know about drugs and, like, how drugs can kill you. They know about, like, all this stuff. They know about murder. They know about COVID. They know about sickness, diseases. They know about all this, and it's just, like, it's not even, like I said, it's not even just her, like, sitting down and, like, having these, like, one-on-one conversations. It's literally just, like, they're exposed to everything anyway, whether you show them or not, but it's just about you, like, answering their questions. It's really just about like answering their questions in a way that isn't um, closed off in a way that's like open ended to where like the conversation can keep going and they can like keep learning because yeah, they just know a lot. Like it's just weird. Oh, yeah, I, I don't know how great it is because my kids are the same and it's like, man, isn't that, isn't that too old or too young to be exposed to all this stuff? And then there's another part of me that's like, well, you know, it's going to happen anyway. Like why hide the world from them? You know, you've got to deal in reality. It's like, it's hard. It's a fine line. You can't cause they got internet. <laughs> like yeah. I think my generation's probably the last one who like lived before and after the internet. So like, well, yeah, I, everything. Are you, you're not Gen X, are you? No, I'm a millennial. Okay, I was going to say. But I remember like having dial up and like okay. having like not having a computer at all and then one day having dial up and like being exposed to all these people's thoughts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cuz I'm generation X and I felt like we had like the last analog childhood, you know, like but maybe there are, you know, some millennials. I guess dial up almost counts as like not having internet, you know, in the mind of a millennial. You really did it. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you had a house phone, you can't do both. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got to pick. Um, so before I let you go, there's one last thing I want to, uh, address with you. And this too, uh, was from the acknowledgement section of your poetry collection. I, I don't mean to focus too much attention on the acknowledgement section. There are many beautiful poems which precede it, but I, I would be, I would be remiss if I did not, uh, talk about the fact that you give a shout out to your weighted blanket. Uh, which is a first for me. I've never seen someone give a shout out to uh, a weighted blanket before, and I couldn't help but notice it. I would like to give you the opportunity now to comment on that. <laughs> you know, I just give my life over to my weighted blanket. It sustained me. This is like my award-winning weighted blanket speech. Um, I slept with it last night. Like, like I said, I'm not a person who like sleeps like that. And so <laughs> that when I discovered this weighted, my mama bought it for me and she sent it to me. And like, as soon as I put it on, it's like, 
what is going on? Like, can't move. Like, it's so, it's so, like, what is happening? Like, am I stuck? Like, what's happening? But when I first got that good night's rest with that weighted blanket, changed my life. I never want to sleep without it. It's my favorite thing in the world. Literally, like an appendage. <laughs> like, how many pounds? It's always there. How many pounds? It is, it's 40 pounds, I think. Damn. It's thirty five or forty. It's one or the other. That's heavy because we got one. Yes, heavy. I think I think that uh, weighted blankets had, had a moment during the pandemic. It became mm-hmm. this thing where it's like, are you having trouble sleeping? Are you worried? Are you you know stressed out? Like get a weighted blanket. And so we got one, and I think we got like a twenty pounder, and that uh-huh. felt that felt heavy to me. Forty pounds, you're you're not going anywhere. It's like a- I don't go anywhere, <laughs> and at first it do feel heavy, but over time it's just like. I need this weight on me to sleep. Like I need it. Like I need, like, it just feels right. Like it just feels right. But you can, you can sort of learn the maneuver, but yeah, I had to give a shout out to my weighted blanket because it really helped me write this book. It really helped me um, survive. It really helped me do a lot. So yeah. Okay. Well, and I think it's, I think it's also very important to take care of one's sleep. I'm on that, I'm on that train. Like I think it, you can say, I don't need a lot of sleep. A lot of times people do this, you know, and maybe it's true to greater and lesser extents, but human beings, we got to sleep. It's good to sleep. Mm-hmm. Everything's better when you're well-rested. Take care of your sleep. Yeah. Don't be, don't be proud of the fact that you're exhausted. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Don't be proud that capitalism is killing you. And yeah. Like yeah. Productivity. Yeah. That's not nothing to be proud of. No, exactly. Be pre- How, okay, what is a good amount of hours of sleep for you? Like for me, where you feel well rested. Yeah, I, I think seven to eight. Um, if I get eight, if I get like eight or nine hours of like really good restful sleep, that I am in my glory. I love that. But on an average night, I've been going to bed between eleven and midnight and getting up at around six. Uh huh. That's usually what it is. So I guess between six and eight, somewhere in there. It just depends. But I'd like to get at least seven. Eight uh-huh. on a really good night. Nine if it's just mm-hmm. like stupid and things are insane. <laughs> or if I'm really tired, Same. you know. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that there are there is a very small, and I mean very small, subset of the human population that is wired biologically to need only like or to need less than six hours. Um, mm-hmm. And so when people tell me that they don't need more than six hours of sleep a night or six or more hours of sleep a night, I tend not to believe them. Um, I, cause it's just, it's cause I hear it too often. It's, it's un, like, I, am I really surrounded by this many people who happen to exist within this small subset? I think it's a kind of braggadocio. It's like, Oh, I only need, it is. and it's like, no, you know what you're doing? You're competitively stressing. You're trying to win the stress game and get the gold medal for somebody who's able to like, you know, deny yourself like basic necessities in order to, you know, it's, it's crazy town. So I like to, like, you don't even know you're suffering. Like you're a victim. Yeah. And, and you're, and you're destroying, you're destroying your health. You're destroying your health, like your mental health, your physical health on the altar of some imagined virtue. You know, it's like, get your sleep, enjoy yeah. your sleep. We're what we need sleep. It's how we restore ourselves in every single way. So, um, that's my stump speech for for sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm with it. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, uh, I want to congratulate you on the publication of this uh, collection, uh, the collection plate. And it is uh, really wonderful. And, 
you know, like I was saying earlier, I want listeners to know, you know, we touched on some main themes in the book and a lot of the stuff that you grapple with in the poems themselves, but there is something, there are some things that we did not get to, and I will let readers discover that for themselves. Um, but you are, um, wonderful to talk with and I congratulate you on your success, um, you know, writing and publishing, and I just wish you well. I think you're on a good road. I imagine, you know, now you said you're in San Antonio. I would guess that within six months, you'll be somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> At least 15, my least 15 months. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, wherever you go, uh, I wish you well and um, just really enjoyed meeting you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You are also amazing to talk with. Thank you. All right, that is it. That is the conversation with Kendra Allen. Wasn't it a lot of fun? Come on. She's a good one. Kendra Allen and her new poetry collection, available now from Echo, is called The Collection Plate. You can find Kendra online at KendraCanYou.com. That's Kendra, C-A-N-Y-O-U.com. You can also follow her on Twitter. Her handle there is at KendraCanYou. Once again, the new poetry collection is called The Collection Plate. Out there now from Echo. Go get your copy immediately. The Other People podcast is offered freely. All episodes, more than 700 and counting, are available to you, the listener, free of charge. It's a listener-supported show. If you like this program, if you listen regularly and get something from it, I hope you'll consider supporting the show. You can do so very easily at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. Patreon.com slash otherpplpod. There are different tiers, different levels of support. For as little as $1 a month, you can support this show. And then there are other tiers where you can get stuff, like a t-shirt or a coffee mug or a tote bag or a book club subscription. I'll write you a letter, or uh, like a postcard. I'll wish you a happy birthday. Patreon.com slash otherpplpod. If you have something to say to me, if you would like to offer some feedback, the email address for the program is letters at otherppl.com. Letters at otherppl.com. Let me know what you think. The Other People podcast also has its own official app. It, too, is free. The Other People with Brad Listy app. Go get the app wherever you get apps. It's a good app. This program is also now available on YouTube. Did you know that? The Other People with Brad Listy podcast has its own YouTube presence. Go sign up over there. Go subscribe. It's free. Subscribe to the Other People podcast on YouTube. You can listen on YouTube. What do you know? So, uh, I've got some good episodes in the pipeline. I don't know exactly who's going to be the guest next week. It's TBD. You're on the edge of your seat.